Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear stories of someone brave enough to bear it all. Let's get naked. Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. We're already making mistakes and screwing up and editing and pre-gaming. And I'm with Jess Campmans and I'm super excited. Her website is justcampmans.com. It's in her name. It's in the show notes. She's been on before. We talked about who she is, what she does, and her struggle. So that link to that um, podcast episode is in the show notes. But now we're doing a coaching call, and this is so exciting. Jess, jump in, please. Well, I'm super excited to do this because I don't even know where it goes. Um, Like most of the work I do, I just open myself up to be the receiver of the information to um, offer it to you. And how I What led me to this path was my own struggle with my horses, um, me not understanding what they needed to show me and me having to want to get to the why of it. And that actually opened the doorway for my own psychic abilities, intuitive abilities, healing abilities um, that helped transform me through my work with my horses and then be able to offer it um, to people and people and their animals on the other side of me. So that's it in a nutshell. And I'm excited to be with you here today, Jen, to kind of give you an experience of it. I love this. You say on your website that you're the bridge between worlds and your story on how you got here. And, and also another thing that I really love about your story is I feel like you fought it pretty hard. Like <laughs> you were putting the brakes on in a big way and the universe was like, eh, probably not. <laughs> so um, you were in the process of designing, uh, tarot cards. Is that right? Oracle cards? Oracle cards. Yeah. Based on uh, horses that you've had. Every card was a horse. So tell us about that and then just jump in. I'm, I'm ready to go. Okay. So a couple of years ago, the horses, I kept getting messages from the horses and I would write them down and I would realize, oh my gosh, this is kind of like a universal message for not only myself, but, and it kind of came through very biblical. um, And I can, I'll share that with you in a minute here. Um, But essentially what happened is I've had more than, um, more than 50 or 60 horses that I've bred and raised throughout my life since I was about 10 years old. And these horses all had this wisdom message that I feel um, was really wanting to come through. So I, I fought it for quite a while. And then I just started kind of tapping into those messages and, and wrote them all down for all of these 50 plus Morgan horses. Um, and as I, I forget sometimes to use them in my life, but when I do, I pick one up and think, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And so if I needed to hear it, who else needs to hear this too? So that's kind of the basis behind it. I remember and actually, you... go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to show you them. This is yes. the, um, yeah. The outside of them and then all of these pictures because I love taking pictures um, I've created an image that I have taken um, into a way that looks like it's uh, a painting of them I remember I'm glad you showed them because that leads what I was interrupting you to say um, <laughs> I when you were talking about it in your first interview I was like do you you now and this is funny you weren't working with a full deck when we talked last. Now you're working with a full deck. So that's just my, 
idiot play on words there because <laughs> it's who I am, but you didn't have them all the way done. And I'm like, do you have them? And you're like, yeah, they're not completed. And I was like, get them. And you went, you left the room and you went and got them and brought them back. And I was so excited to see them. So as time has gone by and you finished the deck that, I mean, cause you had like a full that was being born pretty soon after our interview, there were a couple you knew who your last few horses were going to be for the Oracle cards. And so that's been done. Uh, well, it actually hasn't. I'm, oh, so there was four foals that were supposed to be born this year in 2020. And I realized within the last week that two of the mares that I thought were going to have foals actually are not. Um, so that's okay. the universe kind of handing me a different twist on this one more time. Um, but that's okay because I feel like whatever the end result will come this year. Um, and those, two foals that are still due and there's more horses that I can pull from. So maybe there's other meanings that need to come in and be part of this deck. Um, and I've also had a, um, an offering that I kind of started shortly after I, I had my interview with you that brings the stories of each of these horses to life because I just brought the wisdom through and, and the soul message from each horse. But then I realized, well, there's a huge part of their own story, like their story with me and what they helped me, what they taught me, um, that it actually felt really imperative to this whole project, I guess I could call it. So that yeah. has been an ongoing thing. Um, and me having to go back to my story with them actually has allowed me to um, find another whole realm of healing within each of the horses that I was maybe not avoiding, but not really tapping into on a more conscious level. And so as I've had to bring through the story of the horse, it's created a whole another level of, um, of dimension to the, these cards to be able to be applicable to, because um, when we read someone else's story, it strikes within us our own chord that is um, resonant to whatever that story is. And we actually tap into the transformation that, that happened in that other person's life but we make the connection to our own life with it. So that's where I think this oh. is just, yeah. Well, so I, every time I do a podcast interview, I'll walk out of the office and my husband's like, Hey, how's your interview? And I'm like, Oh my gosh, it was my favorite interview ever. And I mean, <laughs> my whole family's like, so you basically every interview you've ever done. And for the most part, over 150 interviews, there were three where I was like, well, that wasn't exactly the way I was anticipating that to go. So I, I've really loved them, but some people I connect with much more deeply, much more quickly and stay in touch with. And you were one of those interviews. So I loved it because we had conversation after the interview um, through mm -hmm. email and tell us where you're located too. In Southern Alberta, Canada. So yep. I'm just about an hour North of the Montana border. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, we're not any, we're not near each other really um, in close proximity. I'm in Reno, Nevada, but sometimes you connect with people through video and, you know, like as this is being filmed, we're in the middle of COVID-19 quarantine, our internet's real sketchy. Thank you for being patient with that, everyone. Um, there's a lot going on and a lot of changes. So I think people are realizing now how much they can connect through video and email conference. And you and I just did. I mean, it was, we had such great conversations. So I love that. This is my favorite interview ever. No. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't even happened yet. <laughs> so jump, jump in with how you usually do this process and explain it in any way. And Okay. So I'll start by giving it a little bit of a background. Um, this just all of a sudden kind of like you, like how I did with you, I 
am someone that loves to go deep right off the bat. And if you can't go there, that's cool. Um, but you might not be a part of my life as much as somebody who is ready to just dive in deep and be a hundred percent vulnerable. And I, that's you to a T um, because I've had to figure that out for myself that the more vulnerable I am, the more authentic I am. And horses are an animal that they don't care how much money you have, what you look like, who you are, what titles you have behind you. If you are not being authentic with them, they're going to show you that in a way that mirrors it. And so that was my struggle throughout most of my life until I found this thing called equine guided learning and healing. And then I realized, oh, this is what's going on in my world. And so as I began to realize that, I opened up my intuitive pathways. And, um, and now I just can sit across from anyone. And I don't do it um, all the time. But if somebody is opening up to me, then I will allow my channel of information to open up and things just kind of start happening. Like, um, the age of 14 is coming up for you. So I don't know what that means, but I know when there's an age highlighted or something like that, that there is um, something that you went through at that point in your life. Um, and sometimes it's not always an age. Sometimes those, that number might mean something, um, but it, it's actually 13 and 14 is being quite highlighted. Um, and then, so that's for, if you're like, I offer information and then if you're willing to, and sometimes it doesn't always come through right away, what maybe would have happened at that time. Sometimes it takes a little bit for you to be able to open up within yourself to that knowledge. Um, so it's, I guess let's just jump right in. Does that mean anything for you? Yeah. My mom left the husband she was at, um, with at the time in my book about my childhood, he's called the monster. She had been with him five years. She left him five times. But this move, we moved from Rhode Island to Vermont. <clears throat> and we moved in with my great grandmother, who I always felt close to and always loved. And um, she was great. And it was the moment that I realized that if my mom decided to go back to this guy again, which had been the pattern, I would not be going with her. So it was a time in my life where there, it was a lot of transition because I moved <laughs> in Rhode Island. I was in the city and I wore more makeup in junior high school than I did ever since then, you know? <laughs> um, and it was very much more a city type environment. And I moved to Vermont and they were literally cow tipping. And I, <laughs> I was very much an outsider. Um, in Vermont, you're called a flatlander. So it means that you don't come from there, you don't belong there, which was interesting because I'm like, the town right next door is my family's name because when they came over on the boat from wherever they settled, like I have generations and generations and generations in Vermont that helped settle that area. And I'm the yeah. flatlander, you know, because I wasn't born and raised in Vermont. So I felt very much the outsider. It was a huge, huge culture shock for me at 13 when we moved there. But I felt a tremendous amount of relief because I got to live with my great grandmother. And I, I think it was the first time since I had been six when my parents divorced and things really started to go uh, you know, off the rails. From six until 13, it was the first time I think I felt like I was going to be safe. Yeah. It felt like you were taking back a part of your life that you didn't have any control over. Um, and I would offer that 
I don't know if your grandmother knew this, but she feels very um, psychically aligned. And so you had that connection with her because I think I told you this on our last interview that you do all this in a way that maybe you don't even know you're doing it, but you are tapping into things um, that maybe most people don't know how, and you're also enabling it through these interviews, which I think is fascinating. Oh, um, that is fascinating. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I always right, felt like I'm more of a thinker than a feeler. And I have a lot of feelings. If you do my personality and all that stuff, it's not that I don't, but I think I survived what I did growing up. And I think I <laughs> survived 18 kids, having 18 kids and being able to do really well at that because I, um, I'm really laid back about how things are unfolding. It's okay with me. Yeah. And um, I don't let a ton of stuff bug me. I don't always react exactly like I wish I had later on, but I do pretty well at that. I'm like, yeah, I didn't react very well. I'm really sorry about that, guys. Um, but I'm also like, I'm analytical. So I don't allow things to hurt my feelings. Mm -hmm. So like it's not about me. It's not very personal. So I never feel very intuitive or I don't tap into that very well at all is what I feel like. So the fact that you say that I just kind of do it on my own without realizing it makes me feel really relieved. <laughs> well, and it, because you want to be able to move it through your analytical mind, but how you pick things up, I like you perceive things because you're so laid back and unattached to it, like it's not a big deal, right? We're, we come in this life, we leave this life. And part of it is we just kind of, I make mistakes, you're going to make mistakes. Hey, whatever. But with that, and I thought like I have four kids. So I kind of think, wow, you're like even one step beyond that. Because if you can do 18 and think, well, I did the best I could with them. That's great. Yeah. Um, right. And we learned from them too. Yeah. Um, but with that, you perceive lots of things and then you move it through your mind to give an out, um, to give a response. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I want to go back to that number yep. you said, um, five times and that number five is a number of freedom and traveling. So at that point that all kind of had culminated at the age of 13 or 14 that you were like, I need to find my freedom. And then you found your connection to your grandmother. Um, and so something is actually, it doesn't even feel like there's anything stuck for most people who um, I connect with like this. They're like, Oh yeah, no, that means something. And that was this. And then that is it our energy field, what I call a disconnect or a, um, a just a disconnect, right? And by holding space for that disconnect, because we, when we're in some sort of trauma, um, we disconnect, our soul disconnects from our body or dissociates. And then a part of us gets stuck in that situation with those people in that trauma. And so if we actually never return to there and reconnect that piece, I mean, you've talked to people that you know the outcome of what trauma does to people in their lives. And animals are not too much different, except for that they are reflecting traumas. Like they go through their own trauma situations. But my belief is, is that the whole animal kingdom is here to help us evolve through finding compassion and that unconditional heart field. So actually animals' traumas um, because in the wild, they don't really, they will move through traumatic experiences. They will move it out of their body. There's lots of people that have done research oh, yeah. on this. Um, 
we as humans don't do that. We suppress it. We, um, we don't know how to move it through our body. And so the next step, the practical application is that once we've found this disconnect um, within your aura, your energy field, your body, because they're all related, your emotions, your mental, um, is to hold space for that. And so yours, I, like, do you ever have or ever had problems with your upper shoulders or upper back? or My left um, one always. It's always in pain. And I know it's something yeah. I'm holding on to, but I, and it's, it's not, I, I don't want to say always, that's very broad. I think I started noticing my shoulder probably 15 years ago when I um, was divorced and I had been a stay-at-home mom for 10 years and I had to go back into the workforce and my ex-husband was a dentist. So because I stopped getting my degree and supported him and I've, I've no regret about that but i came to know dental offices really well that was like my skill set at that point so i went back to a dental office and as a dental assistant you sit and you lean on your left arm and i always felt like the way i was sitting i haven't worked in a dental office in 10 years so <laughs> you know at first it seemed like I, when I was noticing it and I didn't think at that point at all about the body emotional connection, like, wait, this could be me holding on to something. Now it causes me grief, my left shoulder almost every day. It's part of my life. I know without a shadow of a doubt, I'm hanging on to something that's lodged there. And um, I'll go to the chiropractor and be like, you've got to adjust my left shoulder. And he said, <laughs> every time. And I've known him for 15 years. I'm like, come on, fix it. And he's like, it's not skeletal. It's all muscular. And I'm like, do you have a zapper or something you can put on there? Like, <laughs> you know, and if my husband walks by and he massages my shoulders, I'm like, just the left one, just the left one. Oh my God. Like it's, so I, I know I've come to terms with the fact that it's there. And until I release whatever my body is physically holding onto that's emotional, why it showed up 15 years ago, or I didn't notice it before that, it was not apparent. And I, I really did, I remember noticing it thinking, it's gotta be the way you sit and you lean as a dental assistant on your left arm. Um, and that is when I first started noticing it, but yeah, that's not the reason anymore, because I don't do that. I haven't done that for a decade. So now it's just me hanging on to something I don't wanna let go of, or I don't know, or I don't understand, so. Yeah. And so I love all of your answers because we have all of these things and myself included, and I'm still learning this um, with my own horses. I will go out to them and I will try to do something because I want to do it. And they will turn and give me a different part of their body to say, well, no, this isn't actually working for us. We want to teach you something. <laughs> so then I have to get kind of upset with myself and like, I know this, why can't I just go there and be willing and open to learn, but we still have these pathways that we think, well, I want to be able to do it this way. Um, so again, that whole going back to holding space for it. So with you, you used a couple words, um, grief, like it's causing you grief. And that's what I felt too, is that there's something in your lungs because grief is held in our lungs. Um, the age of seven is coming up, that something happened around seven that you weren't supposed to cry over, but you really wanted to, um, but there's some piece of that. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, so, so uh, yeah, I, I can tell you what that is. Mm -hmm. If you uh, want, 
Yeah, my parents divorced at six. Is what? Go ahead. It doesn't. So the interesting piece about this that I've found is it doesn't really matter if I acknowledge it. All that it needs is you to hold the space to acknowledge it. So you don't even have to know what it is that happened in order to heal it. You just have to be open to be able to acknowledge it. So I know you're willing. And if you, if it comes to you consciously, awesome. Yeah. But just for anybody who's watching this, you don't need to know what happened. Yeah. That's awesome. I do. I mean, I remember my parents divorced when I was six. I was the oldest of two kids. I thought it was my fault. I went into second grade. I was seven. And my teacher was really not willing to tolerate. She wasn't, I remember her as not being very nice and she did not want me to cry. I absolutely was not allowed to cry and I hated school and I hated her class. I probably didn't really like her that much. Um, I had a really good friend in that year that I didn't know before. And I don't remember ever after that. And that memory of her is what I feel like helped get me through that year and not cry as much because all I felt, I was just this little girl who thought it was all my fault and didn't understand and wanted to cry. And I wasn't, that was not tolerated. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, And thank you for sharing that. And so just having like, so I respond like my horses do where all of a sudden, if there's a truth that's acknowledged, there's a release of a breath, right? You have to intake a deeper breath because all of a sudden what we were holding on to is in our consciousness now and we can acknowledge it and release it to have a realization, oh, that's what happened. That's what I was holding on to. So just in your own body right now, um, what are you noticing? Uh, I, well, my shoulders are more relaxed. Uh, If I'm conscious of them, I know that that's where I, I've always felt like that's where I hold tension in my shoulders. I think a lot of people do like you realize you're up here. Um, so because my shoulder hurts a lot, I'm very conscious of them. So I'm like, I'm a runner and in running people hold tension there and they get really uncomfortable and painful and have trouble breathing. And that was actually never an issue that I had, I think, because I'm so conscious of my shoulder. I. I'm conscious of taking the, the, what you're supposed to do is take a deep breath in, out and release the tension. And so I've gotten good at that habit of doing that, but there are times drinking alcohol is one of them um, that I think I didn't realize I was holding tension there until I wasn't holding tension. So that's how my body feels right now. Hmm, Interesting. Smaller increments for me. It's not like, it's like, Oh, I didn't, realize I was tense until I wasn't anymore. So yeah. yeah. And and exactly with that, because we don't realize some just like I didn't realize lots of things until, oh my God. <laughs> well if I was doing that, then that affects all of these other things, right? Yeah. Um so just you even noticing that you've actually released even more because your head's kind of dropped. And like, I'm just recognizing and feeling it in my own body, because as you were talking, there was this line of tension that I could feel kind of running up and through here because it was almost like bringing it to a, a resolution, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Another yeah. interesting thing that I think is connected and I've always thought is connected, but I don't understand why I feel that way is that I was on a running team and it was very competitive and I'm not, I don't, I don't really care about that, but we were being pushed and I was really overtrained. And what resulted in that is that I broke my foot and I was in a boot for six months and I was 
a friend that ran with me a lot noticed my breathing and there was a doctor on the team. So he was just like, can you run with us at some point and just listen and see if what I, what I'm feeling is right. And at the end of that run, she came up to me and she said, um, you have asthma and you need to go and get checked. And I was like, mad. No, like, no, I don't. And she's like, yeah, the trouble that you're having with everything going on, like your, your time's not getting faster. You're actually getting slower. You're having trouble with training. Part of that was just that this particular coach was overtraining the hell out of all of us. And that was not okay. But my body was rebelling. And so I did, I went to a specialist and, <laughs> um, you know, he's this old overweight doctor and everybody in the waiting room's on oxygen. And here I am like size four in super good shape coming in to get checked. And he goes, I haven't seen anybody as healthy as you in 20 years. And I said, but that's not the issue. The issue isn't who you've seen. The issue is how I'm doing. And this is not my, my normal. And so I need to figure out, is there something actually going on in my normal or I need to get to the bottom of me just because I'm not hundred pounds overweight on oxygen and can hardly breathe. And I look like I'm going to pass out. Doesn't mean that I'm, I'm, I'm here because there's something wrong with me. So I don't care what the gauge is. I was really irritated. So his people who were great did all these tests. And he said, you actually do show signs of asthma when you're just sitting like just doing nothing. But what we would call it is exercise induced asthma. When you get up to your heart rate, a certain point, your lungs just kind of tighten up. And so he gave me steroids and this inhaler and I tried it and I was like, nope, not the way I'm going. And fortunately I've been good at following my body intuition. That part has not been super hard for me, but I just knew that that was not the answer. And so that was six ish years ago. And what I've learned since then is that I'm afraid to push myself because I'm afraid of having it. Once you've, I, once I experience an asthma attack, I don't ever want to be in that space again. Um, yeah. But I felt like, yeah, okay, maybe I show signs that I have it, but it's, this is not, either I'm hanging on to something and that's why it's not like actually a physical illness or disease that I have is how I always felt about it. It's a symptom of something else and I can work through it to have it go away. I don't know if it has because I refuse to push myself anymore, which makes me angry. So I know that that's potentially connected with my shoulders because you said breath and I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> by the way. So, um, and I love all of this and I, I have to find humor in it because I've had to go so deep and that when you're doing all of that, it's like the opposite of it is just to find joy in it because there's always, wait, we're always doing this. Like right now, I didn't even want to get on, the, I'll be hundred percent honest. I was not that I didn't want to get out with you. I was just like, I have nothing to offer. I don't even know where I'm at right now. <laughs> like the whole state of the world that we're living in. <laughs> so that I'm on and just engaging in it. Um, because I think maybe that's part of the lesson of right now too, is that it's not, we have no idea what it looks like, but if we just jump into it and embrace it, um, who knows what can come out of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So with that, actually, um, this is, I have a couple tools that I use for all of my kids from the start of when my youngest was just a baby and she could follow along and she would 
um, I call it brainwashing, but it's actually, it's not like it's, it is in the, in the highest potential way that we can, I guess, use the word brainwashing. I don't know. Um, it's kind of my joke with it, but with my animals, with myself, with my clients, with anybody that will listen to what I have to say, um, is that putting your hands over your heart. And so do you have the availability to do that right now? Yes. Cause within there, so I just want you to, as I'll stop talking in a minute, as you're already starting to process something that's in there, um, because we're taught to push ourselves through things rather than surrender to receive the answer, right? And I mean, I've watched my oldest daughter, she's very athletic and she will push herself because she needs to be the best at everything. And finally she started breaking down and I, I realized, like I, I offered her, I said, your body is gonna continue to do this until you can't do what you used to be able to do. So you either need to start listening to it um, and what it is trying to tell you. Um, so if I just come back, what are you noticing right now? Or what is coming? I'm super you? calm. I mean, you used the word dissociated earlier. And I remember as a kid, when things were traumatic, I could remove the whole floating above yourself and what, and I think um, that allowed me to walk away from people and things very easily. Yeah. Like if I decide I'm gonna, I'm like, bye. And I'll never give you a second wow. thought again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, that's not a part of my personality. I'm really um, glad about. So I try really hard not to dissociate myself, but I feel a little floaty, but it's, it feels okay. good. Okay. Thank you for sharing that because I think you put to words what most people maybe don't know how to, um, and that is really important. And so right now with that, because I, I believe we all have that ability to dissociate from when we, when we're feeling unsafe. And so you're being super unsafe with whatever you're holding on to in here. So with one hand on your, on your heart center, put your other hand on like the top of your thigh. So kind of between your knee and your upper leg, mm -hmm. and that's going to help ground you. Um, and why, because in order to actually be super effective in the world, I mean, we can have all these ideas and thoughts when we're out here kind of floating above ourselves. But if we can't create our reality with that, um, that happens through being grounded, our energy being grounded into the world, then we can't actually take an actionable step to, into our future. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yep, it does. Mm -hmm. So how are you feeling right now? Do you feel like you kind of are coming back in more? And if, Okay. And I think I learned how to do that more with you. I'm allowing whatever happens to happen. Um, Cause I, I didn't like how easy it was for me to dissociate and how frequently I could do it. Yeah. So uh, I don't, I tend to um, bubble that. I don't know how to explain it. I, I just don't allow it, but um, yeah. yeah. And it's a good feeling. <laughs> So it's hard. I mean, it's good to separate it yourself from the shit that's bugging yeah. you, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. um, but I love that about putting your hand on your thigh. That so feels really good. You can do. Yeah. It helps ground. It helps bring you back into your body because the ultimate goal, um, with trauma is to give our soul a home to a safe home to come home to, which is this thing. It's our body. Right. right? Um, 
and you'll find, or anybody who's listening to this will find that the more you create a safe home for your soul in this body, um, the scarier it actually becomes when you dissociate because you realize you're not connected to the very thing that will support and protect you. Hmm. Which is um, interesting because I think of it as the way I am supporting and protecting by dissociating. Uh, well, that yeah. was my past. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's kind of a, it's like a paradox, I almost want to say. Um, and I've actually never get, gotten to delve into this because this is always, I kind of talk it through with my horses and they listen and they offer me things. But then I wonder, well, if I'm actually going to share this with the world, I really have to be secure in, in what I'm doing with this. So I've had to come through my own experiences of this for myself because I was completely dissociated after having gotten kicked in the head at age seven. Right. Um, to, to be able to find that, to first of all, realize that I was and then find a way to come back home to me so that I could tap into all of this information and actually use it to move forward in the world. And so by putting your hands on your thighs or bringing your focus to the bottom of your feet, and it, yep. right now I can feel my, the soles of my feet are actually really tingling. Um, and so the more aware you become of that, then you'll, everything will kind of slow down. It's almost like reality slows down, but it's just mm -hmm. because your brain waves are slowing down. Um, you're creating a more of a safe zone for everything to kind of come together. And so that's creating more of a connection for your soul and your body. Um, and also, we actually don't need to know how to heal ourselves because if we create this safe space for our soul to come home to, it knows what we need. And all of a sudden we get these ideas or these memories that come up and what was unconscious becomes conscious and then we can do something with it. We get to make a choice, right? Yeah. And I, um, well, you said a couple of things. One, you said your feet on the ground. So I had my feet up on my desk. And when you told me to put my hand on my thigh, I put them on the ground because I learned that in a meditation to, to um, be in touch with the earth in some way. And so mine were kind of floating a couple inches, you know, so I did that. So that was good. And also you said that things seemed to slow down, which made me feel like I'm not going crazy because that is what it feels like. <laughs> Um, yeah. like, is my brain not working? What's going on? Um, so that's good. If that means that that's creating the safe place, then when that starts to happen, you think, oh, good. So I was feeling that and not verbalizing it, but I'm really glad you mentioned it because it does feel like for a minute. And if, and if that's the acceptance back in, yay, that you feel that. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And go ahead. Okay. I wanted to touch on something with meditation too. I've never I hate it. I can't meditate um, because I feel like it's creating more of a, um, I have to have some sort of movement or some sort of grounding connection to actually get into a space that what I would call meditation or um, tapping into like the zero point field, right? Which is the potential of all that exists. And so if, if we're trying to quiet our mind, um, it's kind of like kids in school. If you want them to focus, they have so much, especially if kids are empathic, which we all are empathic mm -hmm. because that's how we perceive to keep ourselves safe. They can't sit still because they have to be moving all of the energy that they're feeling in the class, everything that they had at home going on, and they have, they're all of a sudden expected to sit still. 
that's creating a whole bunch of anxiety and, and disconnect instead of allowing them to move that energy. Because again, my oldest daughter came to me a couple of months ago and she said, mom, I, I think I have ADD or ADHD. I said, well, actually, I, I'll tell you why I don't think you have it. And that's exactly it. I said, you're empathic. You're picking up on all of the emotions that is happening in your own classroom. You're being told to sit still and focus and you can't go outside. Like you can't get up and leave to, to, have, to be able to move, your, move that energy through you. Um, we're not allowed to cry because that's just a movement of energy, right? It's a release. So no different yeah. than you at age seven, you had to do something with that. So you stuck it in you, right? Yeah. If you aren't allowed to release it, you, it's still there. You have to do something with it. So then we just shut it down deep inside of us and try and forget about it and go to the next thing. Okay, now I'm paying attention. It's somewhere deep within me. I'm really uncomfortable. And then that creates a dissociated state. What a great hamster wheel we're on. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> Okay, awesome. Well, let's not do that one anymore. <laughs> How about that? You know, um, what's interesting about the crying is that my next year of school, I had the teacher who, if I have to talk about people who are the most pivotal in my life, it's her. It was my third grade teacher for the first time. And this is why I think people need to be seen so much, like really seen because she saw me. I was worth it. I was smart. I was beautiful. I met her 20 years ago. Um, I went back and met her, uh, re-met her. She didn't remember who I was. And someone was like, wow, doesn't that hurt your feelings? No. Like she was a teacher doing her job, but she was just being who she was. And she made this enormous difference in my life in passing. And I felt like I could release all that. I felt like everything that was inside me was totally okay. I didn't need to be embarrassed. Yeah. There was nothing wrong with me. She's a huge reason why I wanted to do foster care because I wanted to take in kids that were like me, that grew up like I did. Um, why I knew absolutely that you can make an enormous impact in the life of another human being, even in passing without probably ever knowing that you did. Um, cause she yes. didn't know until I found her and went back and I realized I'm telling everybody about Carolyn St. Jean and the only person who should know is the only person who does not. So I found her and I flew back from Alaska to Rhode Island and I met her and I spent the weekend and it was amazing. Um, and we've been in touch ever since, but she was pivotal. And I was so glad that I had a, a, a space that was safe for me. And I don't remember feeling like I needed to cry because it was okay for me to at that point. That's right. Right. So I, I mean, I so totally get that. We stuffed that down. And I had another experience my freshman year of college. Um, my cousin, who was the same age as my mom, she did, I didn't know this then, but I figured it out since then. She did massage, right? And she was like the wear Birkenstocks, hairy armpit, never cut your hair. Okay, that was, that's Vermont. Welcome to Vermont. So, um, but she did massage and I didn't know, she did Reiki and that meant nothing to me. But she did this like, not even hour massage on me. And I felt a shift in my body, like physical, where it feels like it thumps. I love that now. I love when you can get that response where your body's like, yep, we're, we're here and awake. Something thumped yeah. and shifted in me. And I just knew I was going to be okay. And it was all right. And I remember crying like instantly. And I've had chiropractic adjustments where the adjustment's so big, like you cry and I'm like, I'm sorry, there's nothing wrong. I don't know. My body's just, yeah. you know, um, it was kind of like that. And retrospectively, I know she was doing energy work on me. 
um, back when I was 18 and that was my first experience. So I think you can have like these moments in passing that allow you the space to release things, like you said, without even knowing it. So I'm really thankful for those moments where I feel like, yeah, I was holding on to that at seven, but at eight, I didn't have to anymore. Mm -hmm. Because you met someone who exactly, this. yeah, somebody held space for you yep. to be able to take a breath and release it all. Yeah, and what a gift. Yeah, it is. And I, I think that's who, that's who I always have felt. I mean, I haven't known you for a long time, but who you are, you hold space for somebody to be able to bring their story, share their story and witness themselves in their story, all in a matter of who you are. You just, you open that space for people to do that. I'm thankful and, because that's what I want to do. Yeah. And you do it because that's who you are. And I, yeah, I think we don't know the impact we can have, kind of like your teacher, um, but she changed your world by crossing her path. Completely. Yeah. I mean, like my trajectory, th things in my life got much worse in the home environment after third grade, but I knew that I was worth it to her. Like I had such a firm foundation in who I was and that I was seen as an eight-year-old kid in third grade, that although those were really, really hard things to get through and I needed to process through all of that, like I knew somewhere out there in the world, I was worth it to this woman. Like she held space yeah. for me. So I think in some way I tapped into her energy to kind of hold that space for myself. Um, that totally makes sense, yeah. And not entirely, because you still have to go through some of the really bad experiences you go through as a kid when you don't have control. So I needed to do more work on the other side of that. But it's so interesting that we can make such an impact to people. Yeah, she just held the space but, and saw me. That's it. Yeah. That's a beautiful story. Um, that's all you need to do because you were able to get through all of that because one person believed in you. Um, I had a lady that I met and me being able to be this vulnerable and offer this has given me so many opportunities to meet people that I never would have otherwise. Um, she owned a, um, a safari experience down in Arizona and um, I was down there doing a horse um, workshop and I got to stay with her and because there was fires there everyone else um, nobody else had showed up so it was just her and I sitting there and I one day came home from my horse workshop and uh, we just sat down and started talking and what she shared and what I kind of tapped into and offered her as information helped her but then she also actually told me that how they take it's in a week at a time from like inner New York and, um, and all of these places that these kids are surviving by trying not to die. And there's like, nobody understands what they're going through. And she said, at the end of the week, I have to send them home back to this experience and I can't do anything. And we both kind of looked at each other and, and it was, we had the realization that but she gave you, she planted this one seed that somebody cares because all of a sudden this person was seen as a like as somebody this person was seen as somebody and i said if if that's all that you know in your heart that you did that's invaluable yep right i said it might change yep. the trajectory of their life and sometimes i mean especially kids going through trauma you have nothing to relate it to i remember as a kid feeling like this is not how things should be 
but I didn't have a comparison to that. Even though my best friend's parents were married and I would spend time at her house and they were upper middle class, we were like below poverty level. I didn't really have solid regular examples of what should be different and how it should be different. But when you plant those seeds, you show them one, that it is different. Like, you're right, you're not crazy. It shouldn't be like this. And what the possibilities are and that it's possible for you. And maybe not right now. Like, that's, that's huge because kids generally feel like this isn't the way it should be. It doesn't feel right to them. Yeah. And with that too, planting that one seed will allow somebody to hold on to and hope that this will get better. It, regardless, because we have more strength. I mean, look at the shit that we go through, right? Yep. I don't even think that I went through that much. I mean, I listen to people's stories and think, oh my God, and you're still here. Like, you're amazing. But you don't see that because you're the one going through it and you were yeah. just getting through it. But then when you finally get out to the other side, wherever that is, like we have so much strength and resilience and to be able to hang on to that one shred of hope that pulled us through, um, I think is if we can use our trauma to then give hope to someone else, mm-hmm. like that's. Yep. That's right. And a- every person that I interview thinks that they're not, their story is not good enough. And it's so funny to me because I'm like, there isn't a story that exists that's not good enough. So that's the lie, the story we create in our minds that somehow there are levels of, you know, stories and ours falls below some imaginary line. It's really ridiculous Um, because another person's story is something we, it's a horror we can't imagine. Mm -hmm. So I find that always, always is the case. And, um, it's just interesting. So I, a lot of times now I start up out with like, let me just let you know that your story is good enough. And I'm really excited that you're here. Like that part is done. You know, you don't need to be concerned with that. Um, we compare ourselves with everything. Like my, my shit show wasn't as good as their shit show. So I shouldn't share it. And we're all in different stages. So what someone may hear at a particular time that resonates is not something someone else. At, so you just have to share it. Caroline St. Jean was just sharing herself with me. She wasn't doing anything extraordinary except being herself. Um, We just have to offer that and let it fall where it may. And, you know, you're not going to be, you can't be everything to everyone. So um, yeah, I think it's interesting that people, everyone feels that way. And for me, I was like, my story is just my story. It's really cool. I have a great story. I wrote a book about it, but it's just one. So my story is equal to anyone else out there. And the podcast was a way that you got to like write your book in an hour or share your story because I already did it. So I'm not going to share mine again. I did. That was great. It was great. There's nothing wrong with it. But I wanted everyone else to be able to do the same thing because they're equal in value. Yeah, and I think that's um, that's where that whole holding space for it for everybody who comes onto your show to realize, oh, I can take a breath because now I've actually shared my story because I, I feel like for most of us that's kind of a first step, right? Wow, yeah. somebody actually wanted to hear it, and then as we shared it, there's like a whole another space that gets opened up for us. Yeah, 
So, and that's what you're doing for people. You're holding my space in a way. And I, I know every energy worker, anyone in this field says the same thing. You're doing the work. I'm just facilitating, except I don't know how to facilitate for myself. So don't, I know we're, our internet's a little flaky. Um, I can't be my own facilitator at this point in time. I don't have the skills or the know-how to do that. And so, yes, I understand that you're just creating the path for me to do my own healing, but without you creating the path, it still wouldn't happen. So you're doing that same thing. We do this, we do very similar things in a very different, unique way. You're holding space that I'm not able to hold for myself so that I can allow myself to facilitate that. And I honestly, I'm like, treading water and drowning without that i'm not able to do it myself right if i try to i i don't even know where to start or how to do it so um yeah that's really fun mm -hmm. well and actually to kind of bring that full circle i think that's a really important point and there's been many humans in my my experience and my journey that have helped be that for me but if I didn't have my horses, I, I have honestly no idea where I would be because I didn't like humans. I, I was terrified of them. There was no way that I was sharing anything or doing anything with them. And so I found that space through my horses who facilitated that for me. Um, and then I just had to figure out to understand their language of what it was that we were doing, right? And then as, as I began to do that, that opened up a whole nother world of being able to relay that this is all universal, right? Trauma is universal. Yes. And we each may, might have our own experience of what happened to us, but at the basis of it, it is all trauma and it all is healed in the same way. It's reconnecting and bringing to light um, that wounded healer kind of within us where as we become what everybody, as we become ourselves, that actually heals or offers a space of healing for everybody else to become their selves. So can we talk about why my shoulder's holding pain and how to, pro I mean, I guess I understand why when you have a trauma, <clears throat> your body holds on to it in some way, all in different ways. A lot of people have anxiety or stomach issues or whatever, but so I, I think I've answered why you can definitely throw in some insight, but how do we figure out what it is and move it through us? Okay. That's, I love that. Um, and so we can talk about it or we can do it and probably while we're doing it, we're still going to talk about it. So let's do that talking about it. Okay. Um, so take your, it's your left shoulder, right? Yeah, yeah. Correct. I mean, okay. So take your right hand mm -hmm. and you're, there's a space. And because it doesn't matter if it's on our back or our front, it's all part of our field of energy or body. Um, there's a space somewhere on you that you, as soon as you blink, yeah, you've blinked a couple of times, you'll find it. And it, it's kind of general and it's kind of relative. So if you kind of feel like I'm getting that it's in that little indent area, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that feel about right? So you're just going to hold that um, and kind of relax into it. And you're not going to press in there. You're just going to hold it like you're holding space, like you're connecting it and holding space for it. So you're hold. Okay. Yeah. I just see, I'm looking, trying to look through your nails, but it, it's just a gentle soft. Like as if you were just doing this, right? As if you're going to do there. Okay. 
And so as you're doing this, you're crossing the midline of your body, um, which is helping connect both hemispheres of our brain to create a new neural pathway um, because it's connecting our midline or it's crossing our midline. We're bringing in, we're reconnecting a system that was disconnected. So our, our system is an electrical system that requires a feedback loop. And when that feedback loop gets disconnected, the, it just continues to try and feed back to us, but we aren't receiving the connection. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we're reconnecting that feedback loop. Um, and I'm having to take a deep breath and right away, it's either going to start tingling or going numb. Yeah. So you just had to take a deep breath and I feel like the fingers on your, this is my left hand on your left hand, you're going to start to feel kind of a different sensation in them. They're really cold. Right. Okay. So actually with your, with your left hand, there's something I want to say, so with, with your left hand, bring it to your right thigh. I want to say your right knee, but that's almost putting you in too much of a position to stretch. So just put it on your right thigh. Okay. Um, and just breathe into that for a minute. And so your breath right now feels really and sounds quite shallow. Tight. Yeah, I can't, I don't feel like I can get a deep breath. Hey, is that just right now or is that kind of natural? part of your everyday living hmm I don't know I know that when I take a deep breath it feels amazing and I will and my husband will say what's wrong and I'm like nothing I'm just breathing it feels great so I'm very conscious of those really deep breaths that might mean that I don't take them very often So you can release the hand on your thigh and move it actually back to your left side because it's like your body is really wanting support on your left side right now. And that does feel better. Yeah. Um, what, what did you break? Uh, now I got it. My left foot. Um, okay. So just keep breathing. And there's an image that feels like it's coming and it, it's coming to me as an, that I'm getting a sense that you might get an image, but it might come through a different pathway of informing you. Is there something that's coming to you right now? Nope. But I'm good at blocking. Okay. So with your, not your shoulder hand, your other hand, put it on the back of your head, like at the base of your skull. Yeah. Um, and you're just going to kind of hold that there <clears throat> because some part of you is stuck in fight, flight, or freeze still, um, mm. which is blocking you from receiving the information that will help that. It was awful to leave my kids when I went back to work. I remember the image was leaving my daughter, Gabby, who's 19 now at a different daycare than her siblings. And she was like the sweet, intuitive kid. She has anxiety now. She's just, I used to call her the tender, sweet young thing. So I tried to spend a couple extra minutes with her. I, it was really, really hard. I felt like I was abandoning my kids and their dad went to prison and we got divorced and I, 
had to go back to work and I was working like three jobs for a while and um that's the image the image of the kids and dropping them off and stuff okay you can take your hand away because you've effectively actually just removed that block um and that's pretty powerful my i've got goosebumps all over my bottle oh there you are yep it just it just i know that the internet right now with COVID-19 is really flaky, so. Okay, so how are you? Well, it's a big, it makes me really sad. Feeling right now. Sad, really sad. sad. I feel like I abandoned them and I didn't, but logic and emotion don't play well in the sandbox. So I, I was surviving and, um, you know, there were eight kids at home all under 12 and their dad went to prison and he had been a doctor and I had been a stay-at-home mom and that in an instant changed. So I did what I had to do. What you had to do. Right. I mean, there was nothing wrong in what I did. Also, I had moved to Nevada where being a stripper is a career and uh, prostitution is legal like 10 miles down the road or just outside of our county, very short distance away. And I um had offers to do things like that and to be an escort where i could have worked two or three days a week at night while my kids were asleep spent all my time with them and not had to worry about money and i worked three jobs instead because i felt like and this is nothing against people who did it it was very tempting <laughs> it was really tempting um i felt like my moral compass if they found out if my kids found out what i was doing to make money, I didn't want them to ever have to learn that. And so it was because of that, that jobs that I could have done easily on my own, um, I just, I worked three jobs instead and didn't spend time with my kids. And I battled with that because it, you know, give me a pole and a stage and I'm cool. That wouldn't have bothered me to do it, but it bothered me internally. Um, and the money was tempting. There's lots of things that were tempting about the offers I got. Um, yeah. And I never did. And now we joke about it. I, I told my kids, like I was offered this job as an escort to like go on dates with men and look pretty and all that stuff and do it on the weekends. I would have made just a killing and you guys probably wouldn't have known. And they were like, why did you do it? That was like, Oh my God. Because <laughs> oh, focus, guys, focus. <laughs> we would have had to go to daycare. We could have hung out with you more. You would have made a ton of money. You would have worn pretty stuff. Like, <laughs> what about that seemed like a bad idea? And I'm like, oh, my God. Well, sorry. But, you know, so we, we do joke about it. I'm like, you know, in my alter ego life as an escort and prostitute, <laughs> <laughs> and I had a friend who's like, have you ever had sex with somebody? And it, you were like, I wish I had that 30 seconds of my life back. I'm like, yeah. And she goes, well, imagine you at least got paid for it. And I was like, oh, that's the best argument for prostitution ever. <laughs> God, you make me want to do it now. So, um, you know, I really had a lot of internal moral battles. I stopped going to church that I was going to. And I felt like I was, um, it's like triathlons. Why be good at one sport when you can be average at three? You know, I felt like I was failing in every part of Every. my life 
like I couldn't be there as much for my kids. A boss always wants more of your time or your energy. I was spread so thin. I, in every aspect, I felt like I was just fucking it up to some degree or another. And, um, my kids were what were, that was the hardest part was feeling like uh, they went from having me full time to having me very little and going to date. Like it was such a shift in my life. And I, I don't think I, I don't like to use the word regret, but that time period being molested and raped and there's all this stuff I've been through in my past, that was probably the hardest for me. It does the words got stabbed in the back kind of resonate oh, at all? Yeah. Oh my God. So I'm married. Not that it was utopic, right? But I had he went it was a blue collar IRS issue. And I told him for eight years, you know, I, I don't disagree with your value system, but I do disagree with how you're falling out. We have little kids, everyone's home. If this ever goes criminal, I'm going to leave you because I don't disagree. I disagree with what you're doing and how you're doing, not the motives behind it. I hundred percent on board with that, but everything else I am in complete, I'm not in alignment with. And not only did that not make a difference, but he hired an attorney in another state to write letters like to the IRS. I believe what you're doing is um, unconstitutional and until you prove otherwise I'm not paying you so he was being confrontational to the government and when when that all came down and the paperwork came it was like his name versus the United States of America it was like you know it was very sobering and I just felt like I said well you've you've uh, let me know that your cause is more important than your family and you've clearly made a choice and you've been making this choice for years and now it's kind of time to pay the piper sort of thing and so yes I did and in the year it took for everything to be processed he we went to therapy for a year a year and um then he went to prison and I got letters I was I getting divorced and therapy did not was not helpful and the letters that he sent were like I can't ask you for forgiveness until you know and it was basically all the lies in the marriage that it's astounding to me that you can live in the same home with a human being and realize you don't know them at all and why why would you go through so much effort to do that and I felt like I would have been open to have discussions about any of these things. They would have been hard, but here we are now, you know, um, but I was totally willing, but he felt like I was a very, well, this is not an incorrect assertion, but I'm a very strong personality and he didn't feel comfortable talking to me, which is a great justification for not doing something right. Blame me. Well, I would have talked to you, but you're an asshole and you're too strong of a personality and I couldn't, <laughs> And, and I knew that that was a cop out, but basically after a year of therapy and he's in prison and I'm working three jobs with eight kids at home, he writes me these letters about all of the stuff that we just spent a year in therapy. So stabbed in the back was definitely like, I was not the priority at that point. And he really wanted to stay together and he had all these conditions on it. And I was like, absolutely fucking not. Is that ever going to happen in this world? Like, I, I'm really sorry, but uh, I did my part on the front end. I did a year of therapy. I was very present. And yeah, stabbed in the back is definitely how I felt. 
And so I was in that situation, not of any decision I made or any, you know, like I couldn't change it. I couldn't fix it. I had nothing to do with it. And I, but I had to, um, I said it to him one, I've said it to him on a couple occasions actually, um, with another situation too. Um, I'll think of it if it's important, but, um, oh, I took the brunt. I had to deal with the fallout of someone else's decision and couldn't change it. And then five, this was 15, almost 15 years ago, 14 years ago that he went to prison and we got divorced. And, um, five years ago, there were still six kids under the age of 18. And of those six kids, three of them reported that he was being abusive. So I did, <laughs> at this point, I've got like 18 kids, you know, total, because I just kept going on my own. Um, and I had had conversations with him about, if you feel like you can do, a, you can be a really great parent 10% of the time, be a great parent 10% of the time. Don't be a lousy one 50% of the time. And I don't even know why I said that to him because I had no inclination there was physical abuse going on. And it had been going on for like six years. And the kids finally came forward and I got full custody five years ago. And he says that they're allegations and they're not true. And I don't care. That doesn't matter to me. But it, I had to, so I had these six kids in therapy letting them release everything that they trying to hold space for them to release this trauma that they had lived through. And I was so pissed because I grew up that way. And my whole goal was to make a difference in the life of a child. And I did 12 years of foster care and three years of training foster parents. I've have 18 kids one way or the other. And now my kids got to live through the exact thing that I was removing them from like, where's the cruel irony in that? And so I, again, with the same person felt like, that may be why it bothers me more now because it was a second round of, of having to pick up the pieces and deal with the fallout of another person that had nothing to do with my choices. So actually I just verbally vomited all that on you. No, that's what happens because you probably haven't been able to bring that all together in a way that has just nope. come out like that right yeah nope i had, i would have never thought stabbed in the back from 15 years ago but that's very accurate and that i had to pick up the fallout of another human being and then the same thing happened again five years ago and so for five years i've been dealing i had a dog i had a couple of kids that tried to commit suicide i i mean like I have all of this training. I have enough training to train people at the highest level of foster care. And my kids were the ones with suicide attempt. And he did that to them. And I'm picking up the pieces and dealing with his fallout when I was there the first time around, being a strong personality or not, I was there and willing. And I was there and willing the second time around because I had made comments of like, yeah, if you need a break or you want to switch the schedule or you want me to have 80% instead of 50, 50, like whatever you need on there, I will support you in that because it's all the bottom line is the relationship you have with the kids. And that's not based on 50% or a hundred percent or any of that. It's based on your relationship with the kids. And even though I felt that I needed to say that to him from my kid's account and not his, he was physically abusing them. And I've been in therapy with them when they've wanted me to, and I don't doubt my children. So, yeah. 
shoulders definitely have, like it definitely feels different. That's for sure. But yes. Yeah. And I would have never put those two things together with the same person or in that way. Um, so another interesting piece to this is, and I've kind of recognized it a little bit with my own kids and you can probably attest to that is the thing that we want to protect our kids from the most is actually the thing that they have to live through. And so when I kind of realized that, um, we, all we can do is be there for the fallout, right? Yep. And be the one that says, this is how, these are the tools that I can give you to find strength through what you went through because it's already happened. I, yep. right, I, I can't protect, right? Even if we try, yeah. whether we don't know or it doesn't matter. Like as soon as, and that's I think where people struggle with, okay, my kid's 18 and they're leaving home and I don't know what to do about this. And let's go backwards in time because they actually probably have left you long ago and yeah. you have no idea what's going to happen when they walk out the door or when you walk out the door. Right. So to empower them. And that's what I feel like you have done for your kids and maybe on a, maybe a not so conscious level, but when you can provide them the support and the tools with, I went through this, this is how, like, I'm not using it to, um, or I'm not dealing, I, this is how I'm dealing with it, I guess, right? And this is how I'm taking my life and this is my perspective and I'm giving this to you guys because I want you to be able to be empowered in your life, regardless of what happens, because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow, right? We, mm -hmm. um, and so with that, even though it feels like you've been stabbed in the back, that you actually have the tools I sometimes work metaphorically is to pull the knife out of your own back and hand it back to the person that it did because you know how to, this is all imagery, but touch that face, heal it up and move on even stronger because you have that strength within you um, because you held space for him too. Yep. I'm opening, I'm, I'm holding space for you to find what you need. But when somebody can't, can't find what they need within that circumstance you can only hold space for so much before it's exhausting and it's draining and right. until you take the knife out of your back and give it back to him metaphorically which already feels like if you kind of made some connections in what you just talked through for your own self it's like oh yeah yeah oh absolutely yeah i would have never that is not at all where i would have gone with the pain in my back like i i honestly didn't know I knew that there was a reason and I knew it was me holding on, but I had no idea what the connection was. So yeah, it, it's definitely a very strong connection for me. And I love that you just said that I held space for him. I absolutely did. I mean, I did a lot of the um, negotiating with attorneys. I was his power of attorney. I negotiated his dental license in two states and like all of this stuff. I sold the house. I, I was good at it. And I, it didn't bother me to do that stuff. I was actually glad in that, in the heat of that, that, um, I was the one that was able to get all of that done. It was very empowering for me. And I, I, you are right in how you said I was holding space for him. And it was when I couldn't do that anymore. Like I've done it and I, I, I don't have the capacity because I couldn't hold space yes. for the kids and myself and for him. I didn't have the ability to do that. And there's no way I'm going to let go of myself or the kids. I mean, that, 
there wasn't even a question of what to let go. Um, and I didn't yeah. want to anymore. I didn't feel for him enough to want to hold that space for him anymore. So, um, yeah, I love that. When I was done, I was done. It was the same thing five years ago. I mean, it, we, I would have told you before that, that we parented pretty well together. We were still good friends. And I think that that was very true until it wasn't. And so, um, I could only hold space enough. Like he had to, he would have had to allow me to do that. He would have had to drop back to 20% or he would have had to admit it and come to me. Like I, I offered holding space and it wasn't accepted. And so I didn't do it. Um, yeah. And it would have been easy for me to do that part for him because it was all about the kids. It wasn't really about his, my relationship with him. It was his relationship with the kids and my relationship with the kids. And he didn't allow me to do that. So I just put my focus on the kids. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the thing about kids moving out, <laughs> I am like, um, cause my oldest daughter is 28 out of 18 kids. We have two at home now. So I've done my time. They've, they've, I've gotten them. And that is like my favorite part of their lives. One of my favorite, every part's my favorite part. It's like interviews. Um, but you know, it's so exciting because they're becoming the person that they can. It's like you fed the little bird and now you're like out of the nest. Go free. Yeah. Yes. And they're going to make mistakes and I'm their safety net. And I know that I'm here if they need me to. I mean, my daughter called me last night and I had to drive and help her out. And that was totally okay. Because when you need me and if you need me, I am here but you need to navigate this on your own. And I love how, like, I'm not friends with my kids at all when they're younger, but as they get older, then it shifts where I'm still always their mom, but not only their mom, it becomes this very unique, beautiful relationship. Yes. And I yes. didn't, I didn't hold my own identity on being their parent. It was just part of who I am. So then moving out, I don't have empty nests. I don't think, what am I going to do with myself? I don't have any of those issues most people do because I think it's so exciting and fun. And I'm done holding that space for them. Now I get to do it in a different way. But yeah, yeah I love that part. That's so, I have a daughter graduating this year and I'm like, oh, do you need boxes? <laughs> like, <laughs> how can I support you in this? Because she wants, she's got it all figured out. And she wants to move out. And I'm like, you go do that. You got it. <laughs> but I love what you just said. And I think like that ties back to exactly what you're doing. And I feel like what I'm doing, how can I support you in this? I have all of these tools. Which one can I give you? If it's not the right time for this one, I'll just put it away. And yeah. I am holding the space to support you. You let me know what you need. Because if I tell you what you need, that's disempowering. Right. And that that's what's so beautiful about how this can all work. And it doesn't matter how we're doing it is that's who we become essentially. Right. Is how can I support you? Because I have found what I need to support me, which you did inadvertently. Right. You took this life. You took all the things that you were given and you made this amazing podcast. And like you've done so much more than that. But I'm just using that as an example to be able to share all of these things that all of these people have found as a way to become more of who they are, to not only support themselves, but to support everyone in the world that they meet. So I think it's I just kind that. of a, yeah, that's how um, I put words to it. Like this equine guided learning is a modality. And then I realized, but this is actually my life. Like I live my life in this way. I live it 
as a parent, I live it as a spouse, as a facilitator, as a friend. That's just, I've become that because that's, that's who I would want. That's who I needed way back when I became the person yeah. you needed. Right. Exactly. Well, and that's what I love about the podcast. And when I made the connection that a hundred percent of entrepreneurs, they birthed their business from their struggle. It's a direct correlation. Oh right. Yeah. And, um, so you want, we all have this, um, desire to take someone else's experience that's traumatic or difficult and make it faster, easier, and more supported. Yeah. It, it may be bigger than that, but basically we want to ease that for someone else because that's what we wanted when we went through it. So we do it in very different ways, but essentially, I mean, that's why I wanted to do foster care. I wanted to be what I needed when I was them. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, we, you, you'll see that repeating. That's a great place to kind of tie up. I think, um, is that if people start recognizing them in themselves, what they're trying to do for others is what they needed at their time of struggle. Mm -hmm. Is that a good way to say it? That is a perfect way I would think to say it. Yeah. And actually to bring, bring it all back to the initial thing. Yes. Um, I noticed that when I picked up the cards and whatever card I showed you okay. was one of my black mares, just to bring it all kind of full circle, because yes. that's how I feel life kind of works like that, right? Yeah. Um, was this horse, her name is yeah. Karma. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> of course and, it is, Jess. <laughs> and I, I, in my mind, as I showed you the card, I didn't even know who it was. And I recognized her as I put it down and I thought, hmm, that's interesting that I, out of all the cards that I could have showed you, it was that one. Um, so I feel that sharing her experience of coming into this life, she was not, her mom was in distress um, going into labor. And when a horse is in labor, you're losing either the mare or the foal or both of them. Um, and 99.9% .9 of the time they will fall on their own. This time was not one of those times. So really long story short is that I lost Karma's mom because she heard the words that we were going to have to trailer them to a vet clinic, a veterinary clinic to be able to do a C-section to save the foal. And upon hearing those words, she started pushing and pushed all of her guts and everything out called prolapsing, right? Right. Push yep. so hard that everything comes out except for the baby. So at that point I realized, oh my God, this horse knew exactly what was going to happen and thought, like it's, it's either both of us or one of us. Right. So, um, and I still get chills when I tell this story. So the vet and I decided, well, it's here now let's save this baby. So we pulled her out um, and she wasn't breathing. And I started doing human CPR on a horse because wow. I was not ready to lose this, this little baby. And so she's here today and um still with me and I lost her mom that day but that was one of probably the first experiences I had where I realized that um, there's a whole lot more to this entire thing than maybe we ever really give credit to right like I, that horse knew exactly what was going on and in the end her sister um, this mare who died her sister adopted my little baby just like she was her own. So within two days of me bottle feeding and transitioning, this mom took her under her wing and raised her as her own. Um, so it kind of speaks maybe a little bit to your story. Right. Um, and then this past summer, I had a group of girls out here and Karma had her first baby 
um, during this girls workshop that was all about empowering yourself, like finding the superpower for who you are and what's within you. Um, and we went for a walk and we came back and all of a sudden this baby's standing there and she'd just been born into the world. And most, I don't, none of those girls had ever seen a foal being born, let alone one that had just come into the world. And Karma being a brand new mom, let this foal march right up to the fence and introduce herself within minutes of being born to every single one of those girls. And it like, this just is so crazy. And so that's what I wanted to bring it back to was karma's, um, cause it feels like I, and I don't know off hand what each of these horses wisdom is. Sometimes I remember them. Most times I don't. Oh, is to evolve, right. To help us evolve. Oh. Because Carmel was born with two legs that were super crooked. So she actually walks around with a leg like this, which most people would have seen that and put her down right off the bat because she would have been deemed useless, right? But I knew that there was something quite a bit older and more part of her. Um, so if I can read that quick. Yeah, yeah. Do we have time? Okay. Is not the greatest challenge in life that of remembering who you are to come to understand that what you are perceived as or what you have forgotten is but a drop in the ocean of your life meant to be part of the flow of the waves you are not the outside world looking in you are the inside of your world looking out and when you collect and gather all the, all the drops together and bring form to the wave the vastness of what was and what will be creates the momentum for what is you are an, an enigma of timelines brought together as one carrying with you the secrets from the depths and bringing them to the surface and to the shores meant to be the catalyst and transform the formations of what have, what has been. And so her invitation is, um, so this is kind of like the core of it. You have come here as a change maker, as a catalyst, what you know need not be justified, but instead return to help evolve. Hmm. I'm going to definitely Sorry. be percolating on that. <laughs> Jess, thank you so much. People will be able to buy your cards sometime soon, right? Mm -hmm. If you just continue to check back on my website, I will, as soon as they're ready to be purchased, that will be up and out there. I cannot wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be one of the first in line to get them. But uh, thank you so much for today. This was pretty amazing for me but also it gave people an idea of who you are and how you do things and what the connection is with the horses and i'm really grateful for that well thank you i'm really grateful for you and being able to be here and that this ended up being amazing like it always does <laughs>